Hart Maria. Welcome to the podcast. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank good you for having here. us. It's a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. So I think a good place to start would be just let us know a little about who you are and what you do. Yeah. Okay. Do you want me to yeah. start? Go for it. Yeah. So, so my name's Clark. I'm the commercial director at PGC, not PCG as some people often call us. <laughs> uh, I was actually questioning that once saying, uh, are you sure you don't work for PCG? And I was like, no, I'm definitely <laughs> sure. sure. I'm definitely <laughs> sure. So I probably caused more confusion now by mentioning it than not. But PGC, so we're, we're actually a US-based company. Um, probably 80% around that of our whole workforce are based in the US. We've got um, our headquarters in Austin, Texas, and our operations hub is based in New York. Mm. And everybody who works to sort of make the magic happen, the operation, the service are all based in the US. And that's where you'd get dedicated support as a business manager if you joined and started to work with PGC. The rest of it, our front end are all based in the UK, which is really sales and marketing, which is fully remote in the UK and in Ireland. Essentially what we are is we're, we're an employer of record. So we're a registered employer in all 50 states in the US and all 10 and three provinces and territories in Canada, which means that really we're, we're a turnkey solution for any recruitment business in anywhere in the world, but predominantly most of our business currently is coming from the UK who want a piece of the American pie. They see the huge addressable market. They see the low saturation rates of um, of recruitment agencies. They see higher fees. They see at-will employment. And they think, I want a piece of that action but I don't really know how to get there. So the way we've positioned our businesses really will be your compliance partner, will be your trusted partner from the embryotic stage in your mind where you go, I've just got an idea that I've seen something in the US and I want a bit of it, but I don't know how to get there, what to do. I don't know if I'll need terms of business, new insurances, different people, what state do I go to? I've got loads of questions and no answers. So we, we really decided to hone in on that on the audience of people uh, and really support them throughout the journey so our sales cycle can be 12 months sometimes we're predominantly dealing with leaders of recruitment businesses c-suite level type people um, who really know business inside out but just want some support to get over to the u.s so we talked to them really in that very early stage about the the size of the opportunity over the potential states and just really a really consultative approach. We actually don't make any money on anything we do up until somebody places a, a contractor. So the first 11 months potentially of what we're doing, we're just giving free advice. But our whole ethos is about um, really leaving people with memorable, positive impressions that regardless of whether you choose to go with us or not, you've had a great experience and you'll talk to somebody else and they may want to use us or they may not. Um, but so far it's working. We've got a great business. We've got great people. Yep. Everybody's really engaged, motivated. Um, I feel really blessed actually to be working at PGC because it is such a, a great company. Great. Thank you. Fab. Um, I mean, you've done an excellent summary. Um, but just to introduce myself, I'm Maria. I head up our business development team. Um as Clark mentioned, you know, we work predominantly with staffing and recruitment companies. So about 80% of our client base are UK or European headquartered recruitment and staffing firms looking to expand. I think one thing about the US is it is so big and it's so complex that it's usually quite hard to 
to know where to go to look for your information. You know, you could be a recruitment founder, CEO, you've had huge success in the UK and European markets. The US is you know, naturally on the next step for a lot of business leaders. But there's not normally that kind of one point of contact. Where do I go to know how to enter the US, the, the routes to market? So part of my role and my team's role is that we'll be kind of that first point of contact to speak to the recruitment founders and leaders to really just paint a big picture um, and really paint a journey of how best to get into the market. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of yeah. summarised what we've done in Clark's part. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, actually, because before I started at PGC, you like to do a little bit of research on the business. I was quite lucky that I knew a few people who already worked there. But I thought, actually, I'll, I'll start Googling about the US and the staffing industry. And you get so much conflicting information when you start going on Google. Actually, you're just reading the information who's got the best SEO. Um, so what we try to do really with almost, if you ever look at any LinkedIn post, any bit of social media from PGC, really it's just around education. We're not actually selling what we actually do and what we make our money from but people buy into that credible trusted partner who we believe we're the best at what we do but we know there's some things that we don't do and we can't do so we're happy to refer to our trusted partners purely because they are the specialists in their field and and they give a great service so we do build up those 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 trust points for our 12-month mm. cycle and we I mean we speak with a lot of uh, a lot of companies every every single week and if they're not looking to open up new lines of business they're looking at new regions and the u.s is always on that list or yeah. at least north america why is the u.s such a hot topic you mentioned a few things yeah, there yeah. less saturated yeah. better returns but tell us a bit more because people are yeah. listening and thinking right well I'm, I'm wanting to get the u.s but let's what what reinforces yeah. for you so there's, there's quite a few things. I think the, the one thing that springs to my mind immediately is if you think that the, the whole global staffing market is around 620-ish billion, 212 billion of that entire revenue is f coming from the US. So you've got a third of the revenue of all staffing based coming from that US. If you compare that to the UK, you're probably at about 50-something million. So you're mm. four times bigger immediately in terms of your, your addressable market size. Then you go, well, surely there's four times as many recruitment agencies. There's actually mm. less. So there's probably 27-ish thousand recruitment agencies in the US, 30-ish thousand in the UK. So you've got a much bigger addressable market. You've got less saturation. And you've got a really important... Um, piece of information which is called uh, at-will employment. And what that means is, is that it, th th this is how I view the UK market. So I came from UK payroll background. Generally, a, a worker, a contractor will, will make a, a life decision and they'll say, I want to go down permanent employment and I want all those, benefit, all those benefits that come with permanent employment. I want all my employment rights, I want a notice period, everything else that comes with it. I want, I want that. Um, I, I want to feel secure in my role. The other type of person will say, "Well, actually, I'm in a different part of my life, or I don't want the security, but I want a higher net take-home pay, which I think I'll get through contracting." I realise I may lose some of my employment benefits, and I probably won't get a notice period in almost all cases. Um, but they're making a distinct, almost a, a life choice. There was a lot of um, movement when I had 35 and the reforms happened that people moved from 
contracting roles into permanent employment or, or even offshore. But that was largely because they 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 saw the, the difference and there weren't that many benefits in contracting than what there was in, in permanent employment. In the US, you have something called the W-2 employee, and that's effectively in the UK. It's very similar to um, what we would call PAYE. So PAYE, you would be a permanent employee or you would be like maybe an umbrella worker. A lot of recruitment agencies use umbrellas. But because there's at-will at employment, which means that an employer can fire the employee at any time without reason and at will, it's a highly transient market. So it means that people are less likely to make a life decision on being a contractor or a permanent employee. So you've now got... A huge addressable market, four times as big as the UK. You've got um, less recruitment agencies. You've got a highly transient market. And you've actually got higher rates of pay as well. So all of that coupled up means that as a, as a professional recruiter, because you are seen differently in the US as you are in the UK. Because in the US, if you think that somebody, your best skill could leave, your best piece of talent, your best person could leave you tomorrow, with no notice at all, your project stops. Something something doesn't work as well as it does. So you need a good recruiter who understands your values, your your what what drives you. You need to understand your business, what people you want, all the things that a good recruiter in the UK can do, and and they need it at speed. So actually, you become a real asset to that business. So all of those coupled up means that as a recruiter. You can now demand higher rates, so higher margins. So one thing we'll say to a, a, a UK business leader, staffing business leader, is you just can't take your UK pricing strategy across to the US because you can demand much so much more, so much more. So why isn't everyone doing it? Is it what you said there before, Marie? It's a bit of a... Knowledge, competency, I think... A lot of people are scared of the US market because it is highly litigious and it is highly complex when it comes to your legal and tax system. It's really like you're navigating 50 different countries rather than just one. So a lot of people are A, not sure where to start, not sure what they don't know. Um, and really, they're just scared, mm -hmm. scared of the legal. So we'll always say, you know, make sure you speak to a US attorney and you've got terms of business that are watertight and that protect your UK business, your mothership, what you've built. Make sure you understand, you know, the differences state by state, even things like screening candidates, speaking to candidates. In some states, you can't ask your salary history. You know, you've got to be advertising and showing pay rates. There's a lot that you'll need to know and build up your knowledge before you just dive right into the market. So really having that runway of knowledge, strategic knowledge and partnerships to really make sure you're landing mm -hmm. at the at the right time is crucial. We actually advise a lot of our clients to do a recruit from afar method. Um, so, you know, it's low cost, it's low risk. The barriers to enter the US market are actually much lower than a lot of founders and CEOs would think. Um, you know, you can operate from your UK business. You don't need to incorporate. You don't need to register an entity, especially post-COVID. I think it's made the world a lot smaller um, and I always say, you know, paint that shop front, like show that you have got intent to the US, get US phone numbers, PO boxes, change your LinkedIn content, your LinkedIn location. And actually you can operate as an alien business. So you're carrying out all of that search from outside the US and you can tap into the, the US market from afar. You're going to 
try and test your talent. You're going to test the market. You're going to build up your market knowledge. It's going to be a low cost and low risk to your business so that if you do see, which we often do see, that your US desk starts outbilling your UK desk that you've built for 10 years, actually, where shall we go in the US? And again, it's like 50 different countries. You can't just think, let's go to the US market. We'll always say, what state are you going to go to? What location in that state are you going to go to? What area, what industry are you going to... What And what dictates that? Is that the type of recruitment that they want to run, the people that need to hire their, their own speciality? Yeah, so so yeah, exactly that. But there's, I guess, people do it for a multitude of different reasons. Yeah. We spoke to a, a few people yesterday who were going to go over. They chose Miami, I and mean, we was like, "Why are you choosing Miami?" Yeah. And it was for the lifestyle because this person was taking his family, his wife, and two children, and and you've got to take that into consideration. If you have, was just starting up a business with nobody, you might want to choose Austin for the tech scene. Yeah. Um, but also the BD, the culture is different in state by state. So your BD may suit better to New York than Florida. Of course. Um, There's also cost of running a business. You know, we saw pre-pandemic and actually as a business, PGC were historically in New York. And New York's, you know, one of those locations that if you're going to want to build business and work with clients in New York, you really do need to be on the ground in New York because you need to have that face-to-face -face relationship and build that relationship. But post-pandemic, we saw a load of end clients and talent move from your Silicon Valleys and your New Yorks to those lower cost operating mm -hmm. and living states. So, I mean, everyone has been talking about Austin, Texas now for, yeah. you know, 12, 18 months as the place to be. We actually saw internally it overtook New York as a state um, and it jumped to second place, Austin, uh, Texas, sorry. Is that because of the tech base and the, and the tax? Tech, it's now got more Fortune 500 companies than New York. There's 0% income tax. So actually you're getting far more from your talent than if you were engaging talent in the likes of New York. Um, so really as a business, you've got to think, do we want to operate from afar forever? And actually, you might then be able to target some of those higher cost states. Or do we think in 12, 18 months, we want to get boots on the ground mm. and start operating out of that state? Because that will have a lot of impact into where you're looking at incorporation tax, corporation tax, income tax, you know, where you might need licenses. So it, it's a much bigger picture than just thinking oh, I like the look of, you know, North Carolina, let's go there. And that's something we can absolutely help with to make okay. sure that you're not targeting from afar and then realize, wow, that's an expensive state to do business. And actually all of our talent are located in other states. Yeah. And why are there less agencies in the US than there are in the UK? I would say that the UK market historically has always been very, very saturated. And because of that, UK recruiters have got such an edge, such an ability with speed, accuracy, even technology in the UK market is so advanced that actually being a sales you know, person, UK recruiter is a very entrepreneurial role. And actually, you see a lot of these onesie, twosies agencies pop up and a top biller at this agency will say, you know, if I'm billing you 300K a year, I'm going to go and set up on my own. In the US, sales has not always been kind of that role you fall into, which may be, and I say this, I come from a recruitment background myself, that you might fall into in the UK. So it's never been as an attractive um I guess, job, career, you know, long-term goal for US citizens to kind of go into after college, after university. 
So we're seeing that the UK market is getting bigger and bigger and bigger with recruitment, staffing agencies, founders. And actually the US market, you've got far more generalist recruiters, not specialists, not niche, niches um, or niches, as they say in the US. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they're far bigger houses. So you'll see an end client chuck a load of jobs to a recruiter in the US and just say, you know, fill what you can. Whereas in the UK, we've really moved away from those generalists and it's getting really, really specialist. And we'll always say, go an inch wide and a mile deep. And just to your point earlier, why go to the US? We see that UK recruiters that have, you know, been raised and really flourished in a saturated market take all of this skill set and knowledge, go into the US market where there's not that competition and they make such an impact. Mm -hmm. um, so we are absolutely seeing, you know, a, a mass of UK yeah. recruitment agencies go into the US, but it is just still so ginormous. The tech market or tech, you know, industry, recruitment industry in the US is literally the same size as the UK industry as a whole. So people always say, have we missed the boat? Are we too late? there genuinely is enough of a piece yeah. of the pie. Well, it's still everyone. growing. It's still growing. I mean, the, next year, 2024, we're looking at moderate growth, which is around 2%, yeah. just 2.5%. But actually, that's 10 billion, mm -hmm. which is 20% of the entire UK yeah. market. So whilst it is mm -hmm. moderate growth, especially compared to the last couple of years, it's still growth and it's still doing well. It's still continuing to grow. Um, somebody once described to me, putting a UK recruiter into the US is like putting a shark into a goldfish bowl. Um, is it? And sometimes that's how it feels mm. that you've grew up in the, they're almost the, the Spartan warrior camp of hard training, saturated yeah. market. And now you're being put in somewhere that actually have much longer SLAs. There isn't as much saturation, bigger addressable market. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we have, we genuinely have had examples where, it will start off with a, what we call the recruit from afar model and you'll have an office with a UK consultant and a US consultant, both leaving from Manchester, both working in the same office and the UK and the US consultants can't work together anymore because he's ringing the bell for three grand, he's ringing the bell for 30 grand yeah. and they're both making the same calls. So they've now had to separate yeah. the teams, Put them on different floors. Yeah. Um, Just to put some numbers to that, you know, our clients, I'll I'll check in with them and see how's it going. You know, a lot might go perm first, and they'll be as in disbelief as I am. And they say, Maria, we, we've started tapping into the US market three months ago and we've just put a 90K fee on the board. And actually there's at-will employment. Most clients and candidates will honor a two-week notice. So you, you can turn roles around much quicker, as Clark was saying. They're much higher fees. The US is litigious, but what that does mean is that they will honor contracts and they do pay. So they're good payers. You know, you can get an invoice out for the likes of 90K within two weeks of starting your search or placing the candidate. So the the deal sizes are so much higher. And again, coming from a UK market where I think getting 10K on the board is a good fee, we've now got clients that say, I don't even touch a role unless it's going to bring in a 20K fee. Yeah. So your fees that you're generating and at much quicker pace, a lot of our clients actually say, I'm going to start diluting our UK and European business because actually if we're not going to be a 50, 100 yeah. consultant you know, firm, let's concentrate all these heads on the US market because we're going to get far more yeah. money for the same amount of work and you know time that we're putting into recruit.
Yeah. So if you're considering branching into the US, apart from contacting you guys, <laughs> what what should a business be thinking of? What Where would they start? Yeah. For me, I would start market mapping. So I would look at all my existing clients. If I have you know had success in the UK or European market, where are my big hitters that have US operations, US sister companies are part of groups, but then also what is going to be my route to market in terms of the industry and roles that I'm going to recruit for. And then I would go and do, you know, really in-depth research. Where are growth hubs coming up? Where is the talent moving? Where are my big end client or avatar end clients located? I would probably make a short list of one to four states and locations there. I would then probably take a deeper dive dependent on my long-term goals of costs of operating, costs of talent. I mean, even recruitment consultants now, you'll look at UK, you probably get 20K, 27K recruitment yeah. grad. New York, you're looking at 55, 60K for a grad yeah. with no experience. So really thinking of all of those operational costs. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think just on that point there, you may think, well, I want to go to New York because it's New York. But then when you get there, you realize it's so saturated now for even trying to find a consultant, never mind a candidate. Actually, could you even, if you wanted a boots on the ground model, yeah. could you even find the right people to recruit for you? Maybe mm. you could, or is your strategy to pay high wages, big bonuses, and you can attract it? Or are you gonna go to a state where there's great universities and grad programs and you're gonna bring them out and train them up? but then potentially lose them if somebody else comes along and, and steals the the talent that you've just trained up. But mm. yeah, yeah, there's so many considerations to, to be thinking about. Even your internal team, you know, can you pinpoint a few consultants that are doing well in the UK, not even from a billing perspective, but really have your DNI embedded into you, believe in what you're doing, your culture, your journey, that are really going to lift that and be able to kind of steer that ship from the front, whether it's a director, a, you know, a, a head of, you know, a billing manager, because really they're going to be the ones that are steering your ship in the US. So really getting their buy-in incubating their team and then of that shortlist that you would be happy to set up and go you need to make sure they're happy to actually live there yeah. work there and get embedded in because maria who lives in wimbledon might be a very different maria who goes yeah. to set up in miami so doing trips out there and actually your esters will allow your team to do that you can go out to the u.s do candidate events client events spend some time in the locations so that you're soaking in all of the culture and lifestyle not just what google image you know and youtube is telling you about the location yeah and uh, not bringing it back to pgc but part of the journey that, that we will take people on because we have people on the ground in the u.s this is the type of advice that we're how, how is it to live in Michigan? Talk to me about mm. Michigan, like, and then they'll start conversations around it with their business manager. They'll they'll really bring them into the the culture of where they're potentially going to go. We do something called state spotlights. So we'll say here's three top states based on the roles, the the average pay rates. But here's also a, a dark horse one that you may not have thought of, but it's up and coming. But also the the, the the way of living is probably more suited to that person you've incubated and and really just let them make their, their own decisions but you've really got a we, we talk about a laser focus and, and being tiny really really small thinking because the us is massive 
you've you've got to do the opposite of what you think. You've got to go really, really small, demonstrate you can do it, start generating revenue, and then grow out from there. So you've got market mapping, shortlisting your locations, then finding the right people, then the right locations, anything else that people need to be considering in those early stages? Yeah, I mean, it tied into those would be, you know, the cost of operating state by state. Because um, again, it is like, 50 different countries there's different sales tax in each state um different corporation tax that you'll be paying different income no. tax so they don't you recommend people to operate from the uk first to get a foothold and then look to put boots on the ground yeah but if you're thinking actually long term we want to get uh, you know boots on the ground and if new york and texas are your two locations if actually you're thinking my first office and like clark says we always say go you know, laser focus and then think about your second office. If this state is going to be a much lower operating cost for you, then actually when you recruit from afar, mm -hmm. target this state to start with rather than spreading yourself far too thin because it's actually going to be much harder for you. You know, as a UK business, you're not going to think, oh, I'm going to do London, Manchester, Birmingham, a bit of Germany, all this from day one. You're going to start from a hub and expand out. Yeah. Um, so just getting the bigger picture of operating costs, even if you are doing a recruit from afar, is just going to give you that better runway so that when you do land and expand in that state, you've got your client book, you've got, you know, talent pools ready to tap into and you're not doing kind of a cold start. Yeah. Ed education as well. You've really got to educate yourself on the types of workers, very similar to the UK where you've got your PAYE contractors, your gig in the economy, your perm, mm -hmm you're inside, you're outside of IR35 type contractors, you've got very similar situations, but actually in a more litigious market in the US. So you'll have your W2 worker and you may be thinking, well, the types of roles I'm going to be recruiting for are all W2. So you, you need to understand, well, what does that entail? But if you're thinking, well, I may be going down the freelancer route and the 1099s, which is effectively a limited company contractor, that's okay, but are you are you fully aware of the the responsibilities and the liabilities like you are with IR thirty five and the end hire doing an assessment passing down the SDS the fee pay responsibilities? Actually, in the US you've got AB five legislation. So so in the US it starts off on federal, mm -hmm. then you go state, and then you go local. Mm -hmm. So everything that comes out of Biden's office um, is across all of the country for tax legislation, all of that type of stuff. And then state law can not override it, but it can enhance what federal law has. And then local can enhance that again, and they do. So in terms of IR35 for the UK, you effectively have one set of rules. You hold supervision, direction, and control, mutuality obligation, and your, uh, your, your control elements and right substitution. Um, but in the US, you'll have AB5 legislation, which came out of California. You've got individual ABC testing state by state which differs state by state depending on what role it is it can go into a Borello test which started 11 years before I had 35 so it's a it's a really complex mm -hmm. piece of legislation that you need to get right because every single person in the chain is liable except for the contractor so in some instances it will be the worker who because unfortunately they don't have the NHS in the US but they do now have the Affordable Healthcare Scheme and the Obamacare, which uh, as an employer of record, we make sure that everybody works 30 hours or plus a week, which is the, the, the federal law. 
um, gets access to to affordable healthcare scheme, um, but they don't get that or they're not entitled to it if they are a 1099 worker. So they may not be paying their medical healthcare, they may get then get ill, and then they'll say at the end of the assignment, actually, I should never have been a W2, I should never have been a 1099. And then they'll start off an investigation with the mm. Department of Labor or of the IRS. Um, so it's just, it, I guess what I'm saying is it's really important that you educate yourself on really where, where exactly you're wanting to go with this business. Because right now, if you're building a business purely on 1099s, you'll probably generate some revenue quicker, but you're going to end up with more problems in the back end. Um, and actually, if you, because what, what we find is if somebody's moving to the US, they've normally got an exit strategy in their mind, whether it's a three or five, seven year plan. They're thinking, I'm going to sell this business X amount, and that, that that's my plan. When somebody goes to value that business and you've got a base of contractors and the majority of them are 1099 workers, you're investigating each worker because of the, the litigious mm. um, issues that could come with each of the workers. If you've got a base of W-2s, then it's a much safer place to be. But really it's about accurately assessing. Um, there are many great tools out there um, and just making sure that you're putting people in the, the right places for the right jobs. So if there are the considerations for the company, what about the individuals? So say you, you're working for a company they're branching out into the US, you've been approached, would you like to go over and work the US market? What should those guys be considering? Obviously, there's a location, like you said, yeah. you know, yeah. going living in Miami with the family, they want the, I'm assuming the son, but what else should the individual be thinking and considering before they actually make the <clears throat> make the move? Naturally, it will depend, you know, where you're at in your life. If yeah. you're married and you've got children, you're thinking about education, schools, you know, networks of friendship groups for your wife. You know, what's she going to be doing when you're at work building this business? If you're in your 20s, 30s, are there networks of people in, you know, the same ages as you mm. to, to socialise and I think for that, one of my main things and main pieces of advice was get that those consultants out there. Make sure that, you know, you're back to go on trips. When I was building, you know, from a UK, a, a US desk, I always thought I'd want to live in New York. I thought New York's where I want to be, the hustle, the bustle. But actually, as soon as I started visiting the likes of Austin, the likes of Dallas, I just think actually long term, this is far more sustainable as a lifestyle than to be in New York, which you're going to pay, you know, high, high prices of rent, socializing, eating out, even kitchens, you know, in apartments in New York don't really exist because everyone gets takeouts. Like, and that's not me, you know, I love cooking, like things like that, like to make sure as a consultant, you're given the opportunity to go out to these places and really embed yourself. Even if you decide at weekends, I'm just going to go and look at some flats. I'm going to go and see what it actually looks like in the suburbs or in the locations that people live. Absolutely, Regent Street's great, Oxford Street's great, but would I enjoy living in Clapham? Or, you know, those spaces outside of the central hub, I think are just really important because you as a consultant really need to understand you are moving your life. It's not just... I'm going to be billing more, I'm going to be earning more, I'm going to have a commission paycheck. Like, can you see yourself living there for, I'd say, a minimum of three to five years on, you know, an E2 visa you'd get anyway? So fully integrating yourself and, you know, ask your directors, your founders, your CEOs, can I go out there 
on a quarterly trip and whether that's you set me a target that I need to build X amount and you'll get me on a plane and I can go and do BD and candidate events. Like don't underestimate actually what it means to be picking up your life and moving out to the mm. US. Um, so I would just say really embed yourself in a lifestyle and not just the lifestyle, which is the central location yeah. of where you're looking. And what have people... Where have people struggled with that? Have you? I'm assuming you've heard of you know people moved out, hasn't worked, maybe they haven't considered yeah. the location. But what what should people people consider? And I guess expecting, which yeah, they don't necessarily expect on a short visit looking yeah. at apartments. I think loneliness, and I think where yeah. we've seen a lot of founders and CEOs get over that is that they'll send a minimum of two or three consultants at a time. Yeah. It won't just be we're sending this one consultant and you're going out alone to build it. So it will be, you know, at least two, if not three. We have one client who landed in Miami beginning of this this year. He had eight consultants from the UK go out on a visa. So really making sure you've got that sense of community and you're not mm -hmm. just, here's your visa, go and build the US business for us. So really having a team that you've embedded and know the market and again, I think just doing those trips, like go and see what, you know, football communities are out there or go and see what gyms, are, you know, mm -hmm. I'm not being sexist, but, you know, what you like doing in London or wherever mm -hmm. you're based in Manchester, what would that be like um, going yeah. to the US? But I would definitely say now if you've got it available, send more than just one consultant True. out because that's also going to really help embed your DNI, you know, your culture, everything that you're taking it out. Sounds so basic, but it makes so much sense, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 And what's the, how are the US viewing the UK guys who are coming yeah. out essentially into their turf and competing against them? Yeah, I, I, honestly, really positively. And we'll have a lot of clients like, do I admit that I'm sat in Manchester doing this? Uh, absolutely. Like, you know, don't be afraid to share your successes to date, share that you are a specialist in this market. A lot of people will say, do I hide that I'm new to the market? And actually, a lot of consultants are very open and honest. And they'll say, you know, I've got this track record in the UK, this track record in Europe. I'm now building, you know, my market in the US. Would you spare me five, 10 minutes so I can understand what you're building, what your pain points are, what you're looking for? One piece of advice I would give is that it is worth its weight in gold as a consultant to go candidate first because you're going to really, really build your knowledge of what makes up a good package, what salaries are people on, what years of experience, you know, equates to these packages. Um, you've just quickly touched on it, but the likes of healthcare in the US is completely privatized. So it, having a, an affordable healthcare plan is key. So just so you know what makes up a good package. So as soon as you pick up the phone to a client, you are asking the right questions. You're not just asking salary, PTO, paid time off, holiday days. You're understanding how much is the candidate going to get towards their healthcare plan? What's the 401k pension contribution? So I think going candidate first has really, really benefited as well with that knowledge piece so that when you're going to market and speaking to clients, you've actually got that knowledge rather than just picking yeah. up the phone day one trying to be D. But you, you, so you've only got really the Obamacare that is mandatory, all the other benefits that we would take for granted, pension, for example, um, isn't. Um, but we know that 74% of all decisions from candidates are made on the benefits package offered by the employer. Right. So it's really about 
exactly as Maria has just said, it's how do we make a customer-centric offering business solution values-driven business that will really work from from this to the rather than going in the working down. And, and do you find that with, I guess, UK businesses where the benefits are well normal as part of your package, but not necessarily so in the US, is a have you found that companies are going over and almost educating them about the seventy four percent who are basing their decisions on the benefits? You should be thinking about that yourselves. Yeah, we've seen a lot of clients as well do, you know, market reports, surveys, and then feed that back in as a, a tool for BD to say, you know, in your market, your candidate mm, pools, mm. this is what we're seeing. These are the levels we're seeing. This is why people are moving. And because, again, it is so transient, actually partnership-led relationships are even more so than what we see in the UK. So yeah. if you can pick up the value and say, Neil, just so you know, a load of talent is moving from this company to this company and this is what the offers are and this is what, you know, the reasons and drivers behind that. If you are really that value partner that is giving the insight and the knowledge, we're seeing that you are, you know, sticking mm -hmm. way more because if in two weeks time their head of whatever leaves, they know that you know the market inside out, you know what's happening with candidates, where they're going, what's getting them across the line. Yeah then that relationship's far more, you know, sticking that way. And we recognise that as well. It's, we, we genuinely are a values-driven business. Like, we really, really are. And there's a lot of businesses that will say that, but we are, and we demonstrate it in many, many ways. But one way is, so our CEO will negotiate his medical package for him and his family. So he's an Australian, but he lives in Austin, Texas. So he's in the same position as many Australians who has to go and source their own their own medical so he sourced the, the best package out there that he thought was for him and his family which was blue cross blue shield and that is the exact same package that flows through to every single one of our contractors who are on our uh, on our books it's not that we will have one for him one for the employees and one for the contractors it's the same for everybody and we adopt that mentality and that approach with everything that we do mm. And and I guess, you know, there's a lot of businesses in the UK branching out to the US. They're close to the UK economy. They can see what's happening. They're hearing the news. With the US side, do you, do you guys get into advising people about what is happening in the economy and the considerations around legislation, inflation and, the, and all of those things? Yeah, absolutely. So we've got... An internal, you know, market research, an right, internal right. attorney that will just be pumping out data. But one of the kind of areas that our business managers in the US will cover, so all of our clients will have a dedicated business manager, they'll be educating those teams. So whether you want to do monthly training, six-week training, fortnightly training, whatever you want around compliance, legals, insights, you know, law, new laws. This has just come out in New York that you need to do your salary transparency. Mm -hmm. We will really be your partner. I think you mentioned it at the beginning, you know, your compliance partner to make sure that yeah. you feel safe in the US market. We know it's a litigious market. And that's why we really do value ourselves as a partner of yours, because we know, you know, the bigger, more successful we make you as a business, the better it is for everyone. So that's absolutely something we can help with. Yeah. Um, and it is ever changing. So I think it's really crucial that you do have a partnership like that. You have to. If, if somebody was to say they know every piece of legislation across the whole of the US, 
the not the not telling you the truth because it is so enormous there is no possible way that somebody can know it all um I mean, we, we, we are the compliance partner. We do absolutely everything that we can. We we even do mandatory, like when we're on boarding, mandatory sexual harassment training with all the employees that come on. Um, but we have our own tech as well, which is called Precision. So in our business, effectively, all roads lead to Precision, which is basically a, a computer, a piece of tech that will um, effectively apply all of these state-by-state -state pieces of legislation Um I'll know some of them. I definitely don't know all of them. I'll ask people who live in those states, and they'll be experts on New York because they've lived in New York. Mm -hmm. But if you ask them about another state, they'll know little bits, and that's why we have business managers based all over the US. But all of this information is fed into our precision technology, which you put in the timesheet, and it'll apply state by state. So, for example, in the, in the UK, overtime, is um is dictated by the employer in most instances but in the us it's dictated on a state-by-state -state level so we talked before about why there's some people um potentially make a mistake about the state that they chose that they go in into we talked a lot about loneliness but another reason can be they didn't realize that the legislation in this or the tax in this state was going to be so different to this one that it actually put shackles on them from recruiting. Um, we call California a bit of a, a diva state, um, which is great sometimes for the worker, but not so great for the employer or the recruiter um, because of the way that they operate. And one example is uh, um, overtime. Most states will dictate a certain amount of overtime after 40 hours, where in California it's over eight hours. But if you didn't know that and you didn't apply it after that eighth hour, actually potentially you're getting a lawsuit on your hand where precision software applies all of this state-by-state -state, um, legislation for mm -hmm. you. So you're educating, you're giving them the education without them having to do it themselves. It's, it, 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 that, that's almost what we're saying to people is, look, we know you want a piece of this action in, in the US. We'll educate you with every single bit of education that we've got. We're happy to share everything that we've got. There's no complete transparency. We'll even give you a business manager in the US. But actually, there's so much information, it can probably deter you from what you're actually really, really good at, which mm -hmm. is recruiting, making money, placing talent in the right places. Let Precision do that. We'll be a turnkey solution for you. You find your worker, We'll white label all of our software so it looks like your software. You put the worker through it and you forget about the worker until you're putting them in a new role or you want to keep up relationships with them. But there's you're never speaking to them because something's gone wrong. You're speaking to them because you either put them in a new role or you're, mm. you want to build more rapport. And I'm sure you see businesses in different cycles of launching into the US. Where, what are the most common things that people either haven't considered or they actually got wrong and they happen to unpick it? Yeah, I would say terms of business, a lot of exactly a, what I was thinking. a lot of our clients will just be using their UK terms of business, which, you know, if you want to do, but we would absolutely advise you get US terms of business to ensure that they are watertight and effectively reflect us law like you are building a us business you're going to be operating with us clients you need your terms of business to be reflective of us laws again the us is so litigious that contracts are key like really if you're not 
putting numbers on the board, you'll be focus on, focusing on how many contracts are we getting signed because that is going to overarch whether you're getting paid or not, um, you know, whether you're getting protected. So terms of business, absolutely kind of get right and don't yeah. trip up um, on not having those in place or thinking that your UK terms of business will protect you because yeah. um, if anyone wants to take anyone to court, they won't. Yeah. I was just going to say just on that point, the people that we speak to are fantastic business people. They're, they're leaders of, in almost every case, very successful yeah. businesses in the UK. We can only give them the, our, the advice that we've got from our experience. But exactly to Maria's point, what, what can sometimes happen is, is that, depending on an appetite for risk, you may they may use their UK terms of business. Something may happen in the US, but they've only billed one or two people. They've only... They're only got one or two candidates over in the US, but all of a sudden they put at risk the whole UK business because those terms didn't protect mm. or separate either business. So you've now got, oh, actually, I've, I've, I just wanted to see what's out there, do a recruit from the farm model, see if I can generate some revenue, see if I can make it work, or something's gone wrong, now I've put all this at risk. So our advice would always be to... It's protection up protect, front. Yeah, protect your business. Do you know what, you, you may make... You may have to pay a little bit of money up front for them. You may need to um, not go in as gunko as what you would potentially like to. But actually, if you want to grow a long-term sustainable business and not put things at risk, that's our approach to business, and that's the advice we'll give you. However, you're the business leader of a very successful business. Mm. That's ultimately your choice to do whatever it is you want to do. Okay. So there's the protection around the US terms of business. What else... Where else have people made mistakes? Yeah, I would say, obviously, knowledge. We've spoken about yeah. making sure you're going in well-informed so you're not speaking with clients on day one and not asking the appropriate questions or not understanding the appropriate questions. Um, off the back of knowledge, specifically in the contract market, I would say those worker types because you know, misclassification in the US is huge and yeah. they are not shy when it comes to tax or financial penalties. So we've seen companies get stung with millions of pounds of financial penalties. Um, yeah. So really understanding that you're not just doing, you know, placing a contractor here and there thinking, oh, I've spoken to this guy on LinkedIn and he says he's happy with the role and putting two, two and two together, thinking it will be okay. Um, yeah. Tax, I would just say speak with a cross-border accountant who fully understands how to, you know, m most tax efficiently operate your business. As you are recruiting from afar, if you've not incorporated, not registered, you are classified as that alien business. So you do have some sales tax relief, but essentially you've got certain states where recruitment and staffing services will imply sales tax and as a rule of thumb, we'll say to clients, track each state your revenue is being generated. So on the perm side where you're invoicing your end client, on the contract side where that contractor is being based. As a rule of thumb, and it will change state by state, as soon as you start generating more than $100,000 of revenue, the IRS might say, hey, who's this? What are you doing? And how are we going to get per some state. money? Yeah, per state. Um, so just really having either a cross-border accountant that has those cross-border capabilities um, or just getting some advice up front so that you are accounting for that sales tax because mm -hmm. the likes of VAT obviously doesn't exist in the US. So you're going to need to account for that sales tax, whether you're embedding it within invoices or adding it onto invoices. Um, 
I would say definitely just understanding the tax side. And is it, I wouldn't really call this a mistake, but just more of a journey that some businesses will go on. Well, it's about that UK-US pricing strategy. Sometimes they don't they won't really... You, they almost can't believe the value that the, they can add over there. It is almost a little bit like, are you sure we can get 35% for this role? Mm. Um, but now we have some businesses where if the consultant wants to sign off anything less than 30%, it needs director approval. So they'll go through whole cycles of, well, we're just going to go in and win business at the cheapest possible margin. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, actually, I can creep this up. So so I, I would definitely say forget your UK straight, uh, pricing strategy. Go in with a whole new US pricing strategy. Yeah. From the surveys that were carried out last year across perm and contract, the average margin sat at 24.7%, so 25%. We'll always advise clients, go in no less than 30. And as I say, we see clients walking away if it's 20% or less. Um, another thing I see more and more is actually clients being asked, can we retain you? So where UK companies might be you know, 100% contingent yeah. and they might want to enter the US market with a contingent model, we're actually seeing the clients wanting that upfront agreement and commitment to them. So we're seeing right? a lot of our clients actually be retained only or 80% retained, um, which is obviously amazing when it mm. comes to you know your fees, your forecasting. So we've seen retained increase more and more in the US as well versus what we see in the UK. Okay. And is there a, you said a lot of start with perm. Why is that? I think a lot will start with perm because of your knowledge building. It's, you know, a bit more transient in the fact that you're taking that responsibility away from me when it comes to engaging that candidate. PGC, we try and break, well, we do break those barriers down to entry. In the US as well, some of your contractors, each state will dictate when they're legally required to be paid. So it's not on a paid when paid basis. They're getting paid every two weeks, so either bi-weekly or semi-monthly. A lot will start perm, but because you've got your at-will notice periods and it's transient, a transient market, we'll see that clients come back to us within six weeks and say, we're being asked about contract capabilities. Can we do contract? How do we do contract? So you can go perm first and a lot will to get big numbers on the board, get, you know, revenue in the bank. But we know, you know, nine times out of 10, you'll be asked about contract or you might have a contract to hire. So attempt to perm yeah. placement um, to facilitate. Yeah. That cash flow element as well, that they don't need the cash flow if they've, if they've got perm, they're, they're just taking the margin. Um, but naturally they are one in five contractors mm. are, contractors and, and on flexible uh, assignments one in five employees one in five yeah. employees sorry um and and that's meant to go up to is it about 50 something percent in by 2027 yeah so statistica um 53 percent of the whole u.s labor workforce will be contract temporary freelance in some respect by 2027 yeah. so, so, so to support those businesses now because we know that they will go in perm because of the reasons we've just mentioned, or it may be that is their skill set when they've got a view in the, the next six, 12 months when they've generated some revenue to to go into that contract space. We're actually just launching a um, a 30-day funding, uh, advanced payment funding um, for 
for some of the businesses that we work with mm-hmm. um, to support them mm-hmm. to grow, really. Okay. And even average pay rates, actually, like in the US, our contractors average pay rate $67 last year. So if you're thinking you're working on $67, you actually pot, put the employment costs on after the, the pay rate to the candidate. And then you're putting that 25, 30, 35% margin on, on top of that. So you could literally place a contractor a month on a 12 month contract and you are getting big numbers on the board in terms of that recurring revenue. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a big difference as well with contracts in the UK and the U S in terms of the whole pay transparency piece. So we know in the UK (laughs) that uh, Matthew Taylor did the, the, the Taylor report and off the back of it, we got key information documents. So, um, UK recruitment agencies should be given a key information document to every worker who registers at their business. And really that's about demonstrating that pay transparency because if you think of a relationship between uh, a UK recruitment agency and an umbrella company, um, it's, it's really about education because when the agency gives that money to the umbrella company, they're giving them the gross invoice value. At that moment in time, that money is actually the the umbrella company's money so they'll take off it the employment costs the recruitment but sorry their margin apprenticeship levy if appropriate and then you're left with the contracts as net pay however whilst all that is completely clear in in my mind for somebody who's never seen an umbrella pay slip before the first question they ask is why am i paying two lots of, of national insurance employers and employees where in the us it's the complete opposite so the the pay, it's almost like a PEO model, the pay that they're giving for the work is actually the pay that they will receive. All the other costs, the employment costs are put on top of that. Mm-hmm. The recruiter's margin is put on top of that. Um, so it makes it a much more transparent, clear, mm-hmm. open market. Okay. So if if a company is doing all of the due diligence like you recommend, they're reviewing the market, they're getting the right people out there, choosing the right location they're choosing the right type of recruitment to run it almost like what are there any are there any pitfalls with launching into the us that people need to be aware of i would just say be persistent with your bd a lot of clients will say what's the secret sauce to winning business why aren't i winning more business quicker And Americans are amazing. They're yes people. They will say yes to getting on the phone, yes to a meeting. They'll reply to things. But then they're also quite good at going cold when it comes to signing terms of business. So, you know, historically in a UK market, if I've had a 40-minute conversation with you on the phone or we've been on a Zoom call, I'll pretty much think I've got that in the bag. I can start working on that role. Mm. I would say you need to be a lot more persistent with following up those conversations and getting those terms agreed. Um, but when it comes to BD, we see a lot of really targeted in-mails, phone calls, turn those phone calls into your Zoom meetings, your VC meetings, and really you know, be persistent with those. Like, don't just think, oh, he's briefed me on a roll, I'll start shortlisting and send him you know, details across. So I would say don't underestimate what it is to build BD and and that's not to say it's impossible it's just really understanding you are entering a new market you are a new name in the market it's not going to be an overnight success mm-hmm. that being said we've had clients that have picked up a new role with sign terms in 14 days placed a candidate in 21 but most clients will forecast forecast sorry about three months to place their first candidate yeah, yeah. 
a lot of anecdotal feedback I see is that it'll almost be a month of nothing and then a great month and a month of nothing and a right. great month. So I think it's just about that consistency. Yeah, yeah, and being consistent. Yeah, and what has worked really well from afar is doing those events. Do candidate-driven events, do small round tables, you know, private dining yeah. clubs with CEOs, leaders of the industry, like really drive that thought leadership and value yeah. um, to embed your relationships rather than just hitting the phones or emails. It always seems to mean Miami, but I do often hear stories of exactly as Marie has just said, whether it be candidates or leaders of business, they'll do rooftop drinks and canapes in Miami and then all of a sudden they picked up four new clients. And so I think it is really about that, mm -hmm. getting that BD strategy mm -hmm. spot on, being that thought leader, offering something a little bit different um, and being persistent, consistent. Yeah, because the BD strategy for a well-established company in the UK compared to the BD strategy for what is essentially a startup in the US, they're two different things. Yeah. So because going back to that mindset of what made us successful in the first place yeah. but if yeah. the if the agency's been out there for a number of years the bd of what were or the startup approach for the uk years ago doesn't necessarily mean it's going to start work for yeah. the us yeah no. and and the world's changed you've changed probably without even realizing it um you may still think you was hungry but actually you didn't you forgot how hungry you actually was four years ago yeah, when you started yeah. your business and and really it is about how do I get back into that hunter gatherer mentality that I've yeah. got I've come yes I've got a successful UK business how do I get this in the US I've almost got to believe that I'm starting with nothing and I've got to go for it and but we, we do often find there's a lot of success with um, people calling the UK businesses who have US parts of that business and do you have any roles and that that can yeah, often be a really good way in yeah. um, for a lot of referrals are also huge in the US so candidate referrals client referrals a lot of clients will say you know half of if not more of our business comes from referrals and I think that ties in really nice to go candidate first and build out referrals whether it's candidates or clients that way so mm. really have a bit of a strategy rather mm. than just we've got a list of clients here let's cold call i guess that's so, why the, that market research is so important yeah. because they might have business ready to tap into without yeah. necessarily knowing about it yeah and it's understanding as well because especially through covid you've got fantastic end clients in a city that haven't moved but because of covid nobody's now working in new york because they were living in the bedroom. Yeah. So yeah. you've now got the end clients in New York, but they've moved to Florida for the sunshine. So it's really understanding that actually, do my end clients need people in the office all the time? Because yeah, I can pick up an end client, but I can't get any candidates who'll drive and live in New York because of the taxes or they all want flexible working, for example. Mm. So it really is just piecing the whole puzzle together. Mm. There's a lot of moving parts, but it sounds like the opportunity is massive. Yeah, I think if, if you take your time, you map it out correctly, you're speaking with the right people, um, and that, again, comes to your legals, your accountants, your compliance, it, it's huge. And for me, I always think it is an absolute no-brainer. You know, if you're a top biller in the UK and you're thinking of starting a recruitment company, I would honestly say just do the US market. Okay. You're going to get bigger fees quicker you know, you're going to get paid and you're going to be able to tap in from afar. So 
I honestly just think it, it pays dividends to get it right. Um, but the opportunity and the fees that you'll earn are just jaw-dropping still. Yeah. If, you, if, if you was going to get into recruitment today... Go West. You, <laughs> yeah, just like the song. Um, you you would definitely... Why, why would you open a business in the UK recruitment market today if you was just going to start off? Yeah. I mean, personally, I would be doing it in the US. Don't get me wrong, the UK is a fantastic country to live in and I, I wouldn't change where I'm living. I, I love everything about the UK. Um, but for me, it's, it's just so much more logical to work in that market. Mm. Um, and if you're already doing that UK, adapt what you're doing and move to the US. Yeah. But we, we, we don't actually pitch for business and it sounds really strange, but all, all of our business leads comes come inbound. So we get probably 30 discovery calls ish we call them discovery calls where a, a c-suite person will get in touch with us saying i've seen some of your stuff about your stats in alabama or wherever it may be can you spend me 30 45 minutes to talk about the opportunity out there mm. and that's how almost every single one of our conversations journeys partnerships start off which is an incredible place to be as a recruitment owner getting into the u.s What's the top three things people should be considering and why? So I would consider... Apart from contacting you guys and getting all the answers. <laughs> well, that was yeah. the top three. <laughs> like, <laughs> go on LinkedIn, find my profile, <laughs> message me. No, <laughs> I would say market map. Yeah. Like, see what opportunity you've got for yourself in the US market. You know, where that opportunity is, where you're going to look. Mm -hmm. Operationally, as a business, what you need to get set up, your terms of business, your tax, your legals, if you're going to get visas, get those wheels in motion so you're starting to capture any of that revenue that you're going to put into the US market and then start building your knowledge. So speaking to experts, make sure you've got consultants that you're going to want to target the US, make sure they're building their knowledge mm -hmm. so that when you are going to start picking up those phones and start building that presence, you've got all of those things. You've got that foundation sorted. Mm -hmm. You know where you're going, you know how you're going there, and you know what knowledge you're taking to the market so that you're entering as experts. Okay. So the terms and conditions, the market, and then the knowledge of the market. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I think that's a good place to uh, to wrap up. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed that conversation. Thanks for your time. Thank you so yes. much Thanks for, for having us. us. Pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, thank you.